Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. everyone to the Family Biz Show. Uh, this episode, I'm really excited to introduce everybody to Dr. Dennis Jaffe and Pierre DuPont. Um, Dr. Dennis Jaffe is the author of four books, including his latest book, Borrowed from Your Grandchildren, which was released this year. Um, for over 40 years, Dr. Jaffe has been one of the leading architects of the field of family enterprise consulting. He's a family business scholar at the Smith Family Business Initiative at Cornell University. And since its inception, he has been an active member um, of the Family Firm Institute. So welcome, Dr. Jaffe. Appreciate you being here. Um, Pierre, I am excited to have you here um, as well. We have worked together at uh, the Upstate New York Family Business Day, uh, which you participated in last year and um, really excited to have you here. Um, Pierre is a descendant of one of the Dow Jones Original 12 and is a part owner of a large family-held retail chain. Um, Pierre has experienced the obstacles of family business ownership through a myriad of difficult economic situations, and we're excited to have both of you here for, uh, for today's uh, event. And, and now I'm more of an advisor to, uh, to business owners and wealthy individuals uh, at Sarity Partners. Um, as an owner at Sarity Partners, we're, we manage about uh, $25 billion for about 3,000 people. We um, uh, do focus on uh, a lot of business owners, uh, whether it's you know, for individuals, whether it's cash flow management, uh, long-term perspective on investing, and so on. But, but, uh, but after this webinar, if anyone wants to reach out to me, um, I think LinkedIn is the best way to do it. Um, it probably works for Dennis too. And uh, I, I would suggest uh, um, putting in the uh, intro message through LinkedIn that you were on this webinar because it, uh, there, there ended up being a lot of people coming in and I'm pretty wary about connecting to many random people. Um, but I, I love to talk to these folks on the, on, the, on the call today or others also, so. Thank you both uh, and appreciate you joining us today and spending some time with us. Um, we, we got together briefly to talk about, you know, what's going on in the world, what's, what are families going through right now, and, you know, came up with a, a handful of questions. Um, and we put them up on, you know, we, uh, in the, you know, the, the invite for this today. And I just want to repeat the questions back out, and then we'll, we'll dive into them separately. Um, the format will be, we'll walk through a question, we'll have Pierre and Dennis um, share their thoughts and wisdom around it, and then we're happy to open it up for questions um, from that point forward and uh, kind of go from there. So the, um, the first question, I'm not going to put them in any order, I guess we can talk about them, but uh, how can my company and I pivot to flourish now and during the, you know, the post-COVID normal. Um, what have other family firms done to survive and thrive during this crisis? Um, any other ideas that the family should be thinking about during the economic downturn? Uh, the, all of the numbers have pointed to that, we, you know, we are currently in a recession. Um, so that, uh, you know, when, when everybody's out of work and people aren't working, it's kind of tough not to be, right? Um, so those are the, the three big questions. The other one that we, that we talked about was just, you know, four weeks ago, it, everybody was in exactly the same spot. It was chaos. And I had a great conversation with um, a colleague from uh, you know, New Zealand, the Christchurch area, and when they went through the earthquake, 
they said it was a lot very similar um, series of events and how they processed everything. And the, right. that first part was the chaos. How do I, you know, how do I just get electricity back on? Where am I going to live? Where's my, you know, how, how does this happen? Is my family okay? And getting through the chaos. Then it went into the, the recovery stage and how do I get my business up? Where am I going to locate my business? Where, you know, how is all of this starting to come together? And that started to become normal. And then from there, it went into, you know, the resilience phase, you know, after recovery, it's, you know, we have to be resilient and move forward to build things out. I thought that was, you know, worth talking about, you know, as we, as we set the stage for these other pieces, you know, what are you hearing from other families as we're, as you're talking to them right now? Is it, you know, is have we moved out of chaos for most everybody? Are we moving into that recovery period right now? And what do you see coming up next? And then we'll dive into the questions if that's all right. Pierre, do you want to sure, jump in? Sure. Um, I, I guess I would, I would sort of open by, by saying there's maybe a, a, a one overriding message that I uh, probably will talk about a few times today um, on this call. Um, and that is that family business owners uh, typically have a longer-term perspective. It's pretty obvious that if they've owned a business for 50 or 100 years. Um, I, I think that that results in some nuances, uh, some important nuances in how they handle the crisis today, among them being that I think because uh, family businesses are our families themselves and, 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 and um, you know, consider their, their children and their cousins, their siblings uh, in the business, that they may be a little more focused on the people in the business, uh, employees, and the people around the business, the communities around them, uh, whether it's the, uh, the sort of uh, commercial bankers that uh, provide loans to them or, or, uh, or their suppliers or their customers, and, and the focus on those communities, um, I think, has driven people to uh, people who are family business owners to maybe spend a little more time treading carefully and dealing considerately with these people around them as they have to cut things back or or concentrate their effort or let go of initiatives and so on. So that's kind of the overriding message that I think uh, comes out. And and um, I, I just very briefly give one example uh, or, or point you in a direction of one. If you search for a guy named Paul Sullivan. Uh, and he writes for the New York Times quite regularly. He wrote on April 3rd and April 10th two, uh, two pretty good articles on pretty much this topic. And I, I full disclosure, I, uh, I worked with Paul to find and interview the people that he did interview. But um, he really does bring out from several of these business owners how they have focused on their employees uh, and indeed their customers and, and their suppliers who who they may not be able to pay and the customers who may not be paying them, how they've worked, I think, a bit more uh, thoughtfully with them than, than some other business owners might do. Thank you. Dennis. Well, a couple of things. I want to, you know, kind of um, reinforce, um, you know, what, what uh, Pierre said. And there are all kinds of uh, families that I'm, uh, I, I meet. So there's manufacturing families and the family that I know that has a, uh, restaurant and was just about to open uh, after 40 years, um, taking a tentative step to open a second restaurant. And, um, you know, they're just, just all kinds of um, situations. And um, I think the, the, the qualities that came up in the 100-year families are the ones that, that Pierre mentioned. I mean, the family enterprise is characterized by, first of all, the owners have a personal relationship and these relationships mean that their goals go beyond just making money. They're, they're not a bunch of people uh, earning money together. They have uh, uh, other non-financial goals and, um, and they, they see themselves as connected to a, a wider community. So they're, um, the, the definition of whose family is very interesting in the family businesses. They begin to say, well, so-and-so has worked for our family um, for, for two generations. His, his parents did and he did and um, he is he is our family as well um, right. uh, family advisors uh, when I have a family meeting and sometimes I say oh gee um, you're inviting the head of your family office and I say well <laughs> he's been with us since we before we were born it's really uh, hard to figure out. there's a sense of 
connection and, and you know, the, it, it extends to suppliers, it extends to other people in the community, their, their, their presence. So they're not, um, there isn't a sense of, um, of um, you know, kind of selfishness that, that we sometimes, uh, um, you know, I think not infrequently hear about where, you know, it's like this is, a, it's, I'm looking at my self-interest. Families um, are reaching out and the long-term perspective uh, means, first of all, that they have uh, always been frugal. So one of the things that I found interesting is these 100-year families, they um, routinely, um, when you ask how much of the money every year do they, profits do they distribute, families, you know, particularly when they have a large business, they, they maybe say, well, we distribute, you know, 10% of our, uh, of our, you know, profits and we reinvest 90%. And so, there, um, uh, a lot of family families are not managing on debt and leverage. Um, they they're able to um, uh, to deal with it, and and they're um, and they're thinking about their um, their their employees. So they're they're doing things like continuing uh, insurance. And um, one uh, rest you know one restaurant that we attend that we love sent out a note saying, hey, um, you know we we've, we've tried to retain um, our our employees, but we've had to furlough. Um, some of them, and, and we're uh, we're starting a campaign, and we're funding a, a you know a fund for them, and we want to invite the long-term customers um, to contribute to this, and and of course we did, but that that that's the way families um, operate. Dennis, if I may interject, I'll give you another example of that. Um, I, I'm fortunate to be an advisor to or or um, a friend of a number of business owners, and one of them, a very large business, was exactly as you say the the, the almost the hoarding of cash rather than the distribution of cash out as profits uh, to, to shareholders. Uh, the net result being in this particular case uh, today, uh, this, this company has a, a few thousand hourly employees not under contract and uh, they're, they're not in a position to let them go, but they, have, they don't need to let them go, but they have so much cash uh, on the balance sheet that they created a, a paid time off program for those hourly employees this is a very good example because they do care about them and they have the cash because as you said dennis they they tend to not distribute quite so much so quickly it's perfect mm -hmm. yeah I, and writing uh our tw our 2020 insights on family business this year which um it was being published as we were going to the uh covid so it got shelved but um, one of the research you know pieces was you probably both are familiar with the, the 2017, um, the Edelman Trust Barometer. Yeah. And they, they yes. did that whole piece on family businesses and where family businesses have a, you know, an 82% trust factor versus, you know, the non-family businesses, which, you know, have a 54% trust factor in their research. People you mean people around them trusting the company? Well, because the family has personal relationships. You don't feel a personal relationship when it's just a bunch of investors or a hedge fund. How can they build trust with the community? You don't even know who they are and right. you certainly wouldn't depend on them. Whereas if so-and-so has been in your club and, and member of your church and their kids go to school together, you not only trust them, but you you kind of depend on them and you would be totally aghast if, if they began to act irresponsibly. Yeah. And, and uh, one uh, of the things that I've been sharing with families, you know, with business, family businesses right now is if your website, if your marketing material does not capitalize on the fact that you're family owned, right. that's a giant mistake. Yep. You know? well, what does that mean when you say Johnson, um, you know, John, you know, uh, you know, whatever Johnson company, a family owned business, what does that mean? It means we are responsible. It means we are human. Um, we are, are physical people that, that, that you can find. Um, we've been at this for a long time. I mean, it's a code word for all the things that, um, that we want in, in, a, in a responsible company. Right. I would add that it that it um, uh, that kind of trust and, and that kind of perspective of the long term and, and treating those around you as family, I think, will result in, in um, family-owned businesses today maybe coming out of this crisis a little bit faster, a little bit stronger than others because they have been a little more careful with those relationships as they've had to cut them back during the crisis. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, that, that trust factor um, 
means they're likely to bring those uh, suppliers, those customers, those employees back a little faster because they have those relationships yeah. from the long term. Let me open up a new, a, a new avenue, a, a new theme that we haven't um, about, about this, which is that um, there's a lot of, um, there, there's kind of three things that I see, um, you know, good, neutral, and, 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 and not so good. And the not so good one is um, magical thinking. It's the people that say, oh, it's going to be a strong recovery. And you, you, can, oh, you can Google and you'll find someone that'll say the recovery is going to be strong and quick, right? Um, it's going to be uh, the economy is going to going to really you know uh, overreach itself, and so you can be magical thinking and say, well, I'm here's an example of magical thinking, which you would, I'm taking it a day at a time. I'm waiting to see how things um, work out. Um, those are, on the one hand, those seem like reasonable things to say. On the other hand, what they're saying is we are um, we are not looking for anything to anticipate. We're not um, really thinking about new possibilities. We're not, um, for example, as some families are saying, well, now we have a great opportunity to um, you know, redo some systems that, uh, that are obsolete, or we have a great opportunity to be looking at, at, um, at and some new directions we can go in. And so those of, uh... families are not looking at, at things are just gonna go and we're gonna get back to work even though even if they do it in a responsible and a caring way, they're saying um, we're looking ahead to the next generation. And yeah, we, we may have stockpiled some cash. We're going to now look at some of the opportunities and, and the families begin um, to me, the recovery process is not after the, you know, the shock. It, it's something that you begin right now um, in your, in your shelter in place, you begin to get the family together on zoom and say, hey, let's 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 talk about some of the ideas. Let's talk about. Um, some families are saying, should we? Is it time that we should be considering selling the business? And, you know, to, to that um, point of communication, um, Dennis, uh, I, I I have a, a couple of comments on that in, in yeah. the notes I put together here. But but before we jump to that, just as an example of sort of not magical thinking, um, I, one of the families I advise. Um, uh, had called me very early in this crisis. Well, we were talking actually every week anyway, but we'd spoken very early. And in the first week of it, this would be three and a half weeks ago now, uh, the, the owners had already arranged for and had uh, in shipment, they, were, they got it uh, at the beginning of the third week ago, um, a container full of, uh, you know, hand sanitizer and face masks and temperature and thermometers and so on. And they were reconfiguring their factory already. Right. To, be able to take care of people coming back. So that was their sort of first instinct, one of the first things they covered, not sort of magically saying, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out later or people will come back and they'll be just fine, but let's figure out how we're gonna protect them first. Right. Right. And another, another example that, that, you know, again, it's, it's kind of a large company, a company that has its manufacturing um, uh, all done in China, tremendously profitable, um, you know, kind of a, you know, 20 year company manufacturing is done in this uh, wonderful factory, very, very cost effective, very uh, right near Wuhan. And they were considering they're they're expanding and ready to open a second factory. And they were looking at, you know, are we going to, um, you know, kind of make a second factory next door to our Wuhan factory, which would be very cost effective and they have uh, everything in place or should we do it in, in, in Vietnam? Uh, or Mexico, and um, uh, and as they're doing it now, they're saying, "Well, we're scrapping Plan One, and we're definitely going for Plan Two, which will be much more costly." But they're starting their um, their due diligence process and their design process now um, in, um, in between Vietnam and Mexico, and um, and looking ahead to the future. And this and is giving that long term perspective. Given the long term perspective, they're willing to make that investment. Uh, and, and short-term profits, and and they're taking their next they're taking some young next generation people and saying, well, hey, um, you know, you guys um, take Mexico, you guys take Vietnam. As soon as things open up, um, you 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 should make a trip, and uh, we're all gonna, you know, we're we're gonna, you know, that that's our future. These are the kinds of things that a family business can do, that a a larger, you know, uh, non-family business or 
or an unconscious family business are, are not doing. Yeah, you know, you're talking about communications there, and I think that is, uh, as you said earlier, one of the more critical things that family businesses do a little bit better. I'm I'm fortunate to be on two I have the schedule in my schedule here, two uh, uh, repeating weekly calls, uh, one uh, uh, w with family groups that own businesses. One of them I'm kind of part of the family, and the other one I, I'm not, but I'm an advisor, and I value those greatly because the communications that these uh, one case ten and one case thirty. Uh, person families are having on exactly these topics on what is the future where are we going with this business um, what is the uh, who's you know even things like a succession plan become more focused and more current today um, you know the strategic investments new countries as you were maybe uh, pointing at Dennis um, uh, you know where are we going we've had those kind of conversations and and they're very healthy they should happen all the time quite honestly Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, generally family businesses do talk about them more often than maybe a, a private equity held or public company might, might consider such points. Agreed. It, we've been pushing and talking to, with people. Now is the time that doing a SWOT analysis or a sweat analysis, the, the difference between the SWOT and the sweat is that, you know, the strengths, weaknesses, and trends, what are the trends that are happening? And it may be feasible, it may be, it may be important to be doing this weekly, you know, because things are changing so rapidly, you know, that, that you're looking at it. So, you know, spending the time to look at, you know, what are our strengths? What are our core processes? How do we do things? What do we do really well? What are our weaknesses? And then what is, how do they align with the trends that are happening? And that's, that's pretty important right now. And I think, you know, to your point is that, right now is a great time to be bringing in both generations, mm -hmm. making sure that everybody's on the same page about where you're going so that you're, you're sharing the strategy. And it's not just, you know, being told, here's what we're going to do, but it's, you know, you get the, everybody in alignment by, by talking about these things together. I sort of proselytize on that quite a bit about the importance of engaging uh, family members at a reasonably young age. Um, now, sure, you don't need to bring your 10-year-old into an EBITDA discussion and, and a budget discussion, but, but to the degree you can involve uh, folks at that earlier in age, and today is a particularly good point because I can imagine a 15-year-old or an 18-year-old, actually has got a little bit of stress, a little bit of extra stress than their parents may have in today's situations. I tell you, yeah. situation. So, so rightfully, rightfully, <laughs> rightfully so, exactly. But I think I, 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 I like to say it as um, uh, establishing traditions of uh, regular, open, and safe communications, and this is a perfect opportunity to do that. Yeah, I want to take what you thing said. I just just wanted to say about the about the, the ten year olds. So, um, in these days, the ten year olds are right there in the next room. And they point. conversations and they see you, you know, pissed off and, and, uh, and, 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 aggravated and things like that. And you can say, Hey, you know, you'll, you'll, you know, you don't have to worry about that, which is a very dumb thing to say, because when you tell someone not to worry, that's immediately what yeah. they start to do. Uh, uh, now that you mentioned it, I think I am worried. And, and, and the idea, the possibility of bringing in these kids um, as part of their homeschooling. Um, let's talk about our business. Um, let's, yep. uh, let, let's, let's talk about how um, this, this crisis is affecting our business and some of the choices we're making. And, and there are 10, 12, 15 year olds who actually, uh, you know, can um, really benefit from that rather than saying kids are there, don't bother me. Um, so it's yeah. an interesting teachable. I'll give you another example of that, Dennis, um, and that is the sort of chari charitable initiatives that a family may yeah. be doing on an ongoing basis. Uh, today, obviously, this crisis has really brought some of those to the forefront. Do I, do I pile all my you know, cash into this one initiative to take care of people who've been laid off today, or do I dole it out? Well, that's a very good discussion to have with you know, a 10 or 12-year-old even. Um, and engage them, uh, you know, in thinking about it. Not that they're going to contribute hugely, but it's an opportunity for mentoring and, in, and involvement um, today. I, I always say uh, philanthropy is the sandbox for entrepreneurship with young children. Right. Yep. That's, um, Dennis, you said, I wanna, you said something as you're talking about the magical thinking, and I just want to bring us back to that, but I just want to, 
we talk about the Stockdale paradox. And I don't know if you've ever been, if you've, if you've heard of that or not, but the Stockdale paradox is worth looking into. And Stockdale was um, the running mate for Ross Perot right. for, uh, for trivia. Um, but he was a, um, a Vietnam POW. And they asked him, how did you survive all those years with torture and all the things that you went through when so many other people didn't. And you know, one of the things they pointed out is the optimists, the magical thinkers died first. Um, and what he said yeah. is the paradox is to hold two different truths at the same time. And the and truth number one is that come heck or high water, I will persist, we will persist, we will get out of this, we'll figure it out. But then, you know, the other side of that is at the, exactly the same time, you have to hold the truth that right now stinks. You know, you have, to, you have to confront the brutal facts of what's going on. And I think that today is a really good time to, to look at that Stockdale paradox and be able to remember and talk about that with your teams so that, you know, they understand. It is tough, but we will persevere. We've been through other things. Nothing that's looked like this, but we always survive. Yeah, I heard uh, one quote uh, um, was, uh, someone I heard was, you know, we've been in this business for 100 years, 75 years now. We will get through this crisis. So let's figure out how to do it most effectively and prepare for the fact that there'll be another phase of growth next year, five years from now, whenever. Yeah. All right. So when you when you're looking at the families what you know we I think we've we've kind of gone right into the questions that we've been doing so this is fun I appreciate it other stories or anything that has impressed you that other family-owned businesses have done that you know if you could just take those two or three things and make sure that everybody was doing those things what are the things that have impressed you as you're talking with people so far well, I think for the things we, we talked, the one other one is, is, is kind of, you know, willingness to try new things mm -hmm. and to, to say, let, let, let's experiment. And more than ever now, when you're coming out of it, um, some of the ideas that are coming up um, about we, we could do this and we could do that are pretty far-fetched and even dumb. But, um, but nowadays, um, things are so unexpected that, uh, you know, uh, really su supporting uh, and encouraging family members to, um, you know, to take, um, to try things out uh, is, uh, you know, it, there's less downside and, and more upside since, you know, yep. there isn't, um, the, the current way of doing it is just not going to survive. You allow that creativity. And I've, uh, I've seen a couple of examples uh, of, of that kind of open thinking um, uh, causing or resulting in uh, sort of pivots in, in a business. And, and actually this example I, I was thinking about earlier this morning to mention is not an example of an internally created pivot, but the openness and willingness to tolerate an externally uh, driven pivot. Uh, one of the families I, I know reasonably well is a, a supplier of stuff uh, to schools, to big school districts. And they've typically been buying in sort of $100,000, $500,000 chunks. Well, of course, all of these school districts stopped buying two, two months ago. Uh, There's no summer programs. They knew that was coming. Funnily enough, uh, word got out that he, that his business, his family business had been a supplier. Quite a few, actually, I think at this point, over 10,000 individual parents have come to their website and ordered. Right. The problem being, of course, that there's a lot of work there to package things in small $100 chunks as opposed to the usual, you know, $25,000 chunks. And his systems weren't set up for that. But he saw in there an opportunity to create, because he's a parent himself, to create something that he's calling boredom busters as a pack. And parents are coming in and pushing that button, buying the boredom buster, you know, and he's going to repackage a bunch. So, so he was creative enough to see a way to, to take that pivot that was sort of forced upon him and make it into something. And I think I'm not quite sure he's gotten up to the equal uh, level of revenue yet, but it's a whole new channel that's open for him. Well, in the new world, you don't have to be an equal channel of revenue. Just getting some revenue and, and doing right. something exactly. that's useful um, has satisfaction and, uh, and return. And the return levels um, that, that people are, are used to are uh, no longer operative in the same way. So, um, you yeah. know, doing these little things yeah, I'll, 
Go ahead, Pierre. I was just going to say, uh, Dennis, you said it, um, you know, the sort of creativity and trying things that might be a little bit crazy. Um, this is not something you want to do if it's crazy, but, but the idea of, of maybe you're finding other people to hire or other markets that might become open here opportunistically to you and, uh, you know, to be willing to maybe give that a try. Uh, maybe to have the dry powder to do it, uh, but but most importantly to have the 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 creativity in your thinking to allow you to consider. Well, you know, I've always been thinking about hiring a PR person, and here are some PR people that are sort of out of business right now. Maybe I should bring one of them on board um, and start them with this challenge. So that kind of thinking can be very valuable. I um, a business coach that I was introduced to, and I apologize, I don't remember the person's name, but Dennis, you said you have to be careful that you're not too far out there. And he gave a really good way to think about, you know, how far you should go. And he talked about if you grab your thumb, and that is your core strengths, that's your core purposes, you know, your core, your core processes, this is what you're really good at. You can probably easily go to this, go to here, and you and, and you can and, and you might be able to go this far away. But when you start getting to these fingers, you're you're, you're off base, and they don't have the strength that you get from here. So be careful that you're not too far away from what your core purposes are. I just thought it was a great example to share with people. It's a balance. Thinking through these things. Yeah, we, you know, how do we, you know, today we do X, Y, Z, tomorrow we're gonna do ABC and they're just worlds apart different just because there's an opportunity there doesn't mean to use the opportunity because you have to be good. It has to be part of your core processes, your core competencies. It, it does, but again, to balance that, um, Michael, the, the, some folks, some business owners get stuck in tunnel vision about what they do how they do it, the processes they've put in place. So be willing to open that, to not get stuck in, in that tunnel vision. But as you're saying, Michael, don't go too far. There's a right. balance. Yeah. Well, but there, there, this is for one, one person or one business. But if you have, um, uh, you know, like a half dozen family members and they have different, not only have they grown up in different worlds and they've, they've seen different things and they have different passions, um, you can, you know, do worse than saying, well, that, that doesn't, it seems far-fetched to me, but who am I? Uh, you know, I, I, I've only grown up doing what I do. So maybe you can educate me and maybe you should really take this seriously and bring it back as a, as an idea and, um, and, and let's learn from it. And, um, so I think encouraging, uh, people to go out, but also to come back with an opportunity to the family. And again, you have a lot of, a lot of different um, new core strengths in the, in the new generation that you may not have thought was, were relevant. And now all of a sudden, um, hey, um, and, and, and I have a lot of uh, situations where the second or third generation um, had a bigger um, you know, kind of innovative idea that even the first and second generation did. And it just, happened that the family said wow we're gonna we're gonna support that nice no that's that's perfect i i just want to take a second there's we don't have chat features for whatever reason they're not up and running but there is the little reaction button down uh on everybody's panel if anybody has a question rather than opening all 26 up at once if somebody has a question and wants to put you know put that up feel free to if you go to the reaction, you can actually. Uh, yeah, it appears like mine just did. There you go. Raise your raise hand. Also, there's a hand. Oh, yeah. There's also a thumb. So if you have a question or a comment, raise your oh. thumb and Michael will unmute you. Agreed. So, Jane, let's, uh, let's see who's got anybody, any questions right now? Yeah. Okay. Happy to make this interactive if anyone wants. Yeah, no, let's hear. I mean, I'd like to hear if any of you have stories of uh, families that, that you've heard that are doing um, interesting and creative, uh, taking new paths in, during the crisis. Well, while you're thinking about those, uh, I, I would comment that, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about this already, but having a longer term perspective, but maybe using today as an opportunity to, we mentioned before, succession planning, um, maybe cleaning up the business a little bit if there's idle time, uh, not that there ever is as a business owner, but 
you know, getting it in slightly better shape for reporting purposes, maybe um, looking at uh, what are your objectives? Is it longer term EBITDA growth? Are you actually facing someday a liquidity event? Um, you know, these kinds of questions are well worth reconsidering and almost rebuilding a business plan today uh, while, while it's changing so much. Agreed. Vera, I've unmuted you. Go ahead. Thank you. Hi, Pierre. Hi, Vera. Glad you're here. Thank you. Um, hello, Dennis. Loved, uh, loved your insights. And I have a question for all three of you, actually. Uh, what are your thoughts? What is the advice now to families who have been considering an exit prior to coronavirus? And uh, what's the strategy now to either rebuild that value or still proceed with a sale? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, uh, and, and there's no simple answer to it, but, but uh, of course, half of it depends upon the buyer you had uh, or thought you had um, and, and your level of engagement in, it, in previous engagement with that person or that group. Um, but, you know, I, I, if you have the ability to do it, you have the long-term perspective, I, I might suggest you try to find a way to carry on, um, you know, for another six months or a year before you get back into that mode, if, you know, if that makes sense for you. And if, 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 if your plans aren't so strongly, so firmly built that you can't, uh, you can't hold them off for six months or a year, because I think right now might be a, a tricky time to, 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 to actually go through a transition uh, with all the odd pressure <coughs> on businesses today. Uh, we happen to have a client right in the middle of this. Um, and they had their letter of intent in July. Uh, uh, you know, this is a $30 million company. Um, and they, it was funny because for years I was pushing really hard to get them to professionalize the business and, um, and, and add to um, you know, their documents and their systems and processes, which were not in place in a manner that was conducive. So when they went into this, you know, letter, you know, the letter of intent, um, it wasn't, they couldn't produce the financials fast enough. Every question that they had, they were behind the eight ball in what they were doing. And it was February of this year, when they said, okay, we've got enough information. Now we'll go and take it to our, our lender. The lender had questions. And now we, here we are, COVID hits. It's a real estate rental company. What do you think the buyer said to them? The buyer said, you know, we need you to escrow what we think delinquent rents are going to be. Now, thankfully, they're just like you talked about, Dennis, they're debt free. They have no debt, so they could weather the storm and they would be fine. Um, but there were so many things that could have been done in advance to have, to avoided the, yeah. to have avoided it. They a took a people, haircut. Is what uh, they a, bunch of, a bunch of folks that, I've, that I've, I've come to know in the business world are, are, um, are focused on keeping their businesses in decent shape from a reporting, from an informational point of view. I mean, where are all of your employment contracts? Where are all of your partnership agreements, um, your supply agreements, and, uh, your, your land titles? Uh, you know, are you keeping the books in shape shown to others and, and properly? So, so if you haven't been doing all those things, and you know, as you pointed out, Michael, it's gonna take you six months or a year to get those things in shape. But, uh, you know, people with longer term perspectives sometimes let those things slip a little bit. You know, they get into a comfortable state. They don't quite keep uh, the reporting uh, up as well. They, Why would I do that? I'm going to keep this business for the next 50 years. But I tell you, you're running a better business, whether you're going to sell it or not, whether you ever intend to, if you're reporting, if your information is available. Right. And then when the time comes and you need debt, maybe you want to apply for one of these programs now out there like PPP or something, you'll have the information you need much more readily available than, exactly. than you have. So it's preparing for the option more seriously than you had in the past, which is, um, which is really uh, um, something that you can do um, in this, uh, in, during quarantine. Yeah, it, it, it's um, in terms of the going through the sale process, um, I think it's super important that, you know, if, 
the family has not professionalized the business, utilize some of this time right now to start, you know, putting those pieces together. And we're big fans of, I have a coach. Um, you guys have coached business, you know, business owners. We coach business owners, but I have a coach for our, you know, for ourselves. Hire a coach and work with somebody. It's always good to have somebody that's not myopic, you know, inside the family business to be able to look at some things and they may be able to point some things out that you're not seeing right now. Yeah, another another way of saying that, another way of achieving that is just independent directors. Uh, having yeah. an outside voice, not family, uh, not someone you've been playing golf with for 40 years. Agreed. Mm -hmm. uh, Dennis, any other one thing, one thing that a family is doing, uh, apropos of that, is um, uh, has begun to put together a council for the future. And um, they, they've gotten some... Uh, some people that they, that they know that are resources, some even that, that they don't know and, and because the company is known. And, um, and they said, well, we want to convene, um, you know, a, a kind of a idea for the future and um, uh, kind of a seminar. And they've, they're, they're beginning to put that together um, in the next, uh, next couple of weeks. And the idea is what, what kind of opportunities and things do you see for this business um, uh, in terms of its future development, given the current realities, and um, how should we pursue them? And this is gonna be a very interesting, um, you know, kind of seminar. And it will not just be for family, uh, it'll be for family members, but also for the executives, and it'll be a kind of a real learning environment, and, uh, and people will also get to know each other in the exchange and the, and the discussions that, that take place. Yeah, it's, um, I've heard from, you know, I, I deal with a lot of um, people in the construction industry mm -hmm. and which is, you know, heavily, you know, male dominated for a lot of times. And when I bring up the idea of, you know, the bringing in an advisory board or a council to help with those things, um, it's funny sometimes the pushback you get that that immediate. I don't want somebody telling me what to do and how to run my business, and and I the the flip of that is when you do find somebody that takes the time to put that that board in there. Every time we've talked to those people, they say it was the best investment that they ever made in their business, regardless of what the cost is. You know, that's an example of almost the opposite, uh, uh, where, where uh, private equity funded or other sort of non-family businesses might have historically had an advantage in that they do consider outside views more. Sometimes family members can get on a path, particularly if their father or mother had done the business 30 years earlier, and, and, and they're not thinking out of the box as much as they might, not looking out of the box. And so uh, advising family businesses to bring in outside advisors, a family council of some kind that's got independence in it can be, can be quite important in a family business. I'm going to pause for a second. Any other questions? If somebody wants to throw a... Jason might have had his hand up. I wasn't sure. I thought I saw something there. Uh, yes, um, ab absolutely. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Hi, this is a great panel so far. It's great to see you, Pierre, 3,000 miles away. I'm in, uh, I'm in the, uh, the heart of Silicon Valley in South Bay. And what you talked about, uh, Dennis and uh, Michael, yeah. about the next generation, talk to me. I'll be very happy to contribute because I'm very privileged to be known. Pierre knows me quite well as a chief mentor of next-gen leaders. And especially given the crisis today, the global crisis, it's a great time to really help the next-gen. Teenagers, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, Gen Z, millennials, to really reflect and ingrain and instill what I call pragmatic, emotional, social and leadership intelligence, mm -hmm. right? Is really help them understand, digest, instill, integrate, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I sort of apply themselves to mm -hmm. improve their visionary story, their strategic thinking, their execution, their soft skills, right? Four cornerstones of soft skills. Yeah, today provides a perfect yeah. example for that, a perfect time to drive those things because yeah. of what going on absolutely critical thinking uh you know kind of problem solving abilities creativity communication there's like sub cornerstones to that and collaboration social people skills it's a great time mm -hmm. as well as overall emotional state management so please invite me if you contribute right uh, in your Thank farm you. or whatever advice you for it okay 
That's great. Well, I think the idea that that one of the things that you can do in quarantine, and this is something that you, you know that I'm doing myself, is to say, well, um, you know, reading, learning, um, you know, kind of uh, learning opportunities, um, I can take them. I should, I, you know, I mean, I've been meaning to read this book. I've been meaning to go through this. I've been meaning to learn, you know, you know, do do a better job on Excel. Um, there's a personal learning plan, and um, you know, a lot of, you know, you can, you know. It's not, you could take some time and, and pick some skills and things. Absolutely. I, I, don't, I don't care about my book, but my book is called Young Leaders 3.0. And it really talks about heartfelt stories of successes and, uh, and failures and learn from these exemplary Gen Z millennial leaders out there. Mm-hmm. And so Leadership 3.0 is something that I speak quite a bit about worldwide. And that is something that, especially right now, we depend on the next generation. Just to let you know, Gen Z today, it's more than one-fourth of the global population of 7.8 billion people. Plus yeah. millennials, it's already the majority, right? It's you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm watching uh, Amy, Kay, and uh, Vera. You know, you guys look to be kind of millennial, maybe Gen Z. I have no idea. I got two Gen Z daughters, yeah. and I'm surrounded by beautiful, smart women all the time, everywhere. We, you guys are the future, you know? So we care about you. We want to take care of you because we want, there's a dearth of great next-gen leaders out there. That's part of peer. He knows that why I do what I do. Yeah, certainly, Jason, as you're pointing out, uh, tomorrow's world is going to have a lot more inclusion of all these other folks that in the past 50 years might not have been so included. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so now is an opportunity even to help further your younger generations in your family to prepare for that. To, right. To be- I, I'm also on the advisory board of um, literally for the G20, the Future Work and Education Task Force in the B20 with official voice of the private sector business to the G20 leaders that are the heads of state and the governments. And we put together policy recommendations very big on soft skills right? Get rid of stupid bureaucracies, mm-hmm. help women, help the disadvantaged youth. We're very big on solving the pandemic crisis, uh, of course, right? Yeah. So we put together documents that literally get the attention of Trump administration, Modi and President Xi and all these guys. And it's a very tricky process as well. And try to optimize your geopolitics and the social economics mm-hmm. and things like that. So yeah. I, 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 I'm very big on the future of work and education and that's you guys once again okay next generation intergenerational multi-generational diverse inclusive blah 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 try terms right now but it's quite true yeah thanks so, jason that's great jason so michael we have only a couple minutes left do you want to ask any of the last questions you had on your list there um i think without asking them i think we covered all of them as we were going through this but i think i think it'd be nice to kind of go through and put some parting words together from each of you um, and just any other pieces that you wanted to add to, you know, um, the discussion, like you said, two minutes left. How can people get reach you? How can, well, I said earlier, uh, one, one good way to find me is through LinkedIn. Uh, send me a message via that. That's pretty easy. I'm, I'm, I'm quite there. There aren't a whole lot of other Pierre DuPonts out there. Yeah. So it, it pops up pretty quickly. Um, I guess the I, sort of closing statement I might make is, is uh, many, to summarize many of the things we've said, you know, as a family, uh, as an individual or group business owner, whether you're a family or not, you know, thinking about the longer term today, professionalizing the business, treating your communities especially well, uh, you know, will be helpful as you come out of things. If you happen to have sort of dry powder and are available to make new investments in your business, or this applies to individuals too, um, you know, do that cautiously, thoughtfully, uh, obviously, but uh, this might be a time to begin to do that uh, as many of the great businesses in the past 10 or 20 years have come out of this kind of time. So um, summary of a lot of the things we've been saying. Love it. Thank you. Dennis. Well, um, I'm easily reachable by email at uh, djaffe at dennisjaffe.com. And I have a website, dennisjaffe.com. Luckily, my name's not so common and I can buy that, I've got to buy that website. Um, and, uh, and I'm available. It, it's like, um, you know, I, um, I love to hear from people. Jason, I'd like to meet you if you're uh, in, in town, I'm gonna get your book. And, um, and I welcome uh, exchange with people because I'm 
sitting here and the only way I can be in touch with the world is to hear from them. Awesome. I would, um, I would wrap up with saying that the decisions that we make as leaders today will be remembered for years to come. So right. yeah. be thought-filled with how you're thinking about things. Now is the time to go back and review the core purpose of the company, review the core values, and make sure that you're sticking to those as you're making decisions as, you, as you're going forward through these times. I think it's really important. You might ask yourself, what, what can I do now that if I don't do it, I'll regret it in, uh, in, in 10 years? And that might be yeah. a good starting point. Um, I have two last pieces that we'll uh, conclude for today. But number one is anybody that's in the upstate New York area, um, we are doing complimentary consultations. We'll sit down and we'll take your team through you know, any of these discussions, if you heard anything and we can, we're here to help. We have lots of information about trends and things that are going on. We can do a SWOT analysis with you. We can help you with cash conversions and we're doing a complimentary, we're, he we're here to help right now. That's what this is all about. One, two, next week, just so that you know, our guests will be um, Dan Vandervelee from, uh, runs the Cornell um, Family Business Initiative and uh, Tim Belber, um, who runs Alcamia, the Alcamia Group um, out of uh, um, Denver. Denver. He's, he's in Colorado. So uh, we'll be doing it at the same time next Wednesday. We appreciate Dennis and Pierre. If we can give them a round of applause and say thank you. Um, really appreciate you guys spending thank time you. with thank us. Thank you, Michael, for pulling this thing together. It's really this was uh, fun so much fun and, and so refreshing in these times to, um, to uh, be able to think about these things. Thank you for the opportunity. You got Thank it. Thank you all for joining. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you all. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy LLC is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.